what are your thoughts when it comes to intake of sugar? Well, you know, I, I don't I don't like demonizing foods. I don't think that there's any food that's particularly horrible or particularly amazing. It's just all about balance. And sugar is one of those things that sneaks into food really easily. And some of that has to do with how food is being manufactured and processed now. Um, and even foods that we think are sort of quote unquote healthy often have sugar added to them. So as consumers, it's important to be mindful and know what to look for when you're sh- doing your shopping. And when we're talking about weight and weight gain, often people talk about, you know, the tummy, the midriff, the yes. belly. What are you trying to say, Suzanne? <laughs> <laughs> and that area and, it, you know, and you stack on the weight there. Sure. And often that's because of your sugar intake. Yeah. So that type of weight gain they've associated with something called metabolic syndrome, which is a condition where you start developing a a, a bit of insulin resistance, so difficulty metabolizing sugars. And really the only way or the best way to treat that and to reverse that abdominal weight gain is to lay off the sugar and allow your body to recover a normal insulin response. Sugar is good for us as well. Yeah, and we, we do need, need carbohydrates. Yeah, our body carbohydrates is a is our most important fuel source. We have certain organs like the brain and the kidneys that absolutely need to see glucose in our bloodstream in order to live. So there's a balance to be had for sure. Luckily, we can convert fatty acids or or our fat stores into glucose. So when people experience weight loss as a result of a low carbohydrate diet that's what their body is doing it's metabolizing your own sort of fat stores into glucose and the closer and closer you get to sort of that healthy weight the harder and harder it is to do that the body just doesn't want to do that so eventually i mean we'll get into this i'm sure but eventually on really low carbohydrate diets people start feeling a bit tired fatigued because it's hard to do that it's hard for the body to convert fat into sugar and they were talking about sugary drinks in particular, yeah. particular yeah. and uh, when it comes to carbonated fizzy drinks or fruit juices. Mm-hmm. Just quickly on the carbonated drinks, uh, the sugar in there, teaspoons of it, not doing as a lot of good. But the other stuff in there isn't doing as much no, good either. No, it's basically not food. You know, it's 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 a you know a, a soda or or a soft drink is basically. I know this is going to sound a bit harsh, but it's basically a can of chemicals so and sugar. So, you know, if you were starving to death or you were crawling across the desert and dying of dehydration, then yes, that's something that's going to help you. But otherwise, not really any nutritional value or nutrient density in those foods at all. It's interesting. Actually, I'm going to be sharing an article with you later and uh, touched on, I think, in the agenda and one of the packages about how we uh, not only want one form of junk food, but we want more of it. And scientists are doing the research into how these combinations are put together, the chemical makeups, the sugar, to actually give us this sense of bliss, this feel good when we're, when we're drinking or eating such foods. And it's actually quite intentional. Mm. So we think this is good. We enjoy it, but mm. actually not realizing there's no new nutritional value to our bodies at all right and when it tricks the brain into wanting it more and more that's really difficult to overcome Mm. but fruit juice you know when you squeeze when you juice you're taking just fruit and you're juicing Mm -hmm. a lot of sugar in there as well yep for sure 
Yeah, you can, when you juice, you concentrate the sugars. And we've talked lots about juicing before on the show and the pros and cons. And, you know, I think I think there are some pros to juicing. You, if you're using really fresh organic produce and you're juicing at home, you're going to get a lot of trace minerals. You're going to get a lot of B vitamins. You're going to get a lot of vitamin C in a good quality fresh juice. But does that mean that we should be drinking unlimited quantities of it? No, because the sugar then becomes a problem. Uh, when you mentioned before about that can of chemicals what should just water is that what we should be drinking absolutely yeah. Suzanne water yeah. water 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 I hear a lot of people say I don't like the taste of water too bad got to drink it that's what we need yeah. that's what we should be doing taking a look here at uh, a case where somebody who weighed 175 pounds and he's saying that his wife is quite concerned when I started to lose weight I'm generally in good shape I visited my local uh, internist an internist like internal medicine like what you do yes and he ordered a series of blood tests ct and mri scans and a brain scan all of which were favorable but i continue to lose weight and i'm now down to 155 and also quite concerned i feel well i feel okay i eat three good meals every day including a dessert uh is this something you've come across before Yes. Um, the usual, what I would ask is if he's had a proper workup done for like an inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis. Um, usually when a person has had the general workup and they can rule out the scary stuff, then the next step is seeing if there's some kind of undiagnosed digestive condition, some reason why a person is not absorbing nutrients. Um, and some people with Crohn's and ulcerative colitis get really acute symptoms, like they get diarrhea, they see mucus in the stool, but some people don't have symptoms. Sometimes the, some people, the only symptom is they, they think their digestion's normal. The only symptom is weight loss. So I would just review what labs were done. And if that wasn't properly worked up, then that would probably be the next step. People get worried, don't they? They get scared. Sure. They think... Yeah the big c word yep. cancer yeah, yep. losing weight yep. i feel okay i'm eating normally yep. why is this happening to me but it doesn't necessarily mean it's something terminal right but so don't be afraid yeah. to go and get checked oh no out. it's a really important symptom to get checked out that's for sure if you're not trying to lose weight and you haven't really changed your diet and there's this unexplained weight loss and they've been able to rule out the obvious things like hyperthyroidism or uh, diabetes then the next step is it, doing the workup for digestive conditions so weight loss weight gain if somebody comes to see you dr heather what are the kinds of questions you're going to be asking them um i do see a lot of people with concerns around they're either trying a lot of people trying to lose weight sometimes i see people trying to gain weight um the main questions that i get into are around i ask a lot of questions about digestive function i ask a lot of questions of course about diet what are they eating what foods do they like what foods do they not like what is their eating pattern do they eat at the same time every day are they really erratic what's their sleep like we know that there's a relationship between um, sleep quality and cortisol levels and if you're not sleeping enough then you can't balance cortisol and that usually contributes to weight gain of course i ask about activity levels family history is there obesity in their family or is there is their family all underweight um i ask about uh medications that they're taking vitamin supplements that they're taking we do it's a it's a detailed sort of history but focused on what that person's primary goal is 
Well, someone's texted in here saying that I haven't had my period for eight months and I'm very careful with my weight. I'm scared to gain weight. Um, but I went to the doctor and they said that it might be stress related. Well, I mean, it depends. So we don't know anything about this person's actual weight. I mean, if a woman is underweight uh, and her body fat percentage is very low, then her periods will eventually stop. And then it's just a matter of correcting the body fat levels so that the periods can start again. Um, and of course, I would try and rule out an OB-GYN condition like polycystic ovaries or endometriosis. If you're anemic, sometimes periods can stop. So that should be worked up as well. Um, stress levels certainly can affect a person's appetite. Um, and a lot of people don't even notice that they're either overeating or undereating when they're stressed out. If, if you lose your appetite, you just lose that cue to eat. Um, so, again, it, we, I, I w- we would need to know what her sort of eating pattern has been. Um, but for, you know, she hasn't said much about what the doctor ended up doing, but for a doctor to just say, oh, it's stress-related, don't worry about it, that's a little bit too general, you know, that is something worth taking note of. And maybe asking some more questions. Yeah, so of if course. you, yeah. if you, you know, and obviously reaching out here, but if you go to see a doctor or go and see a specialist and you don't feel completely satisfied with the information, ask them more questions. Yeah, ask questions. Yeah, Absolutely. It's your doctor's job to answer questions. Small study at biological uh, psychiatry suggests that stressed out women who eat the same high fat foods as non-stressed women may be more likely to pack on the pounds. Uh, maybe you're somebody that's always struggled with weight from being a youngster from being a teenager Um, maybe you're losing weight and you don't understand why so let's just go through some of the conditions dr heather that might lead to such situations yeah the the common things that i see that the first thing that i'll ask or i'll talk about with someone who is trying to lose weight is the lifestyle factors so meal regularity what they're eating how much of it how active they are and if those things are on track and they're still not able to lose weight then we look into some of the metabolic uh, background i call it background noise like what's happening metabolically that might be interfering with that process and a really common one is insulin resistance where your fasting glucose your fasting blood sugar is starting to go a little bit high Um, your fasting insulin may be okay but there's a particular ratio that you can calculate to understand if you are sort of borderline insulin resistant. And that can happen to even to people who have normal fasting glucose levels, normal fasting insulin. We need to compare the two numbers. So if I see that trend, then the person does require dietary adjustments to fix it, that we need to try and limit carbohydrates, not cut them out completely, but limit carbohydrates. And usually I'll start them on something like chromium, which is a trace mineral that can help the body build receptors for insulin. So it helps to sensitize you a little bit to insulin. The other really common sort of background scenario that often gets overlooked is if there's a functional thyroid problem. So most people, when they go to their doctor and they say, I'm tired all the time, I'm not losing weight, the doctor will do a TSH, but we really need to see T3 and T4 as well. You can have normal TSH levels, but very low T3 and T4. And those are the active parts. Those are the T3, T4 is the, the, the product from the thyroid that actually controls metabolic rate. So if those things are low, they may not be clinically hypothyroid, like not worthy necessarily of going on thyroid medication, but certainly they can be low enough to be interfering with weight loss and then we treat that if we need to. The other really common scenario that I see is people with an adrenal gland problem and this fits in with the stress issue. When you're 
under a lot of stress, maybe not sleeping that great, cortisol levels go really high and cortisol, cortisol always promotes insulin release. So it's part of that sort of fight or flight response. So when you're cortisol levels are high, you can be eating really healthily, you can be eating really good food, and always overshooting with insulin, and that will result in weight gain as well. And then we need to fix the adrenal problem. Those are the three sort of main areas. Uh, I was sharing an article with you earlier in the week. Um, can you prescribe nature? This is from the BBC News site. Uh, here's your prescription. Walk in the forest five times a week for an hour. Well, I don't know if we've got many forests close to us here in the Emirates, but according to experts, it's not inconceivable that doctors will be giving health advice like this in the not-too-distant future. After decades of research, the scientific world is moving closer to pinpointing, ha- pinpointing how exposure to nature seems to promote well-being but not only exposure to nature and well-being but specifically to bringing down your blood pressure Mm -hmm. to bringing down those levels high levels of cortisol Mm -hmm. um they're suggesting that you go forest bathing i love it i love that article i think that that's you know something it's it's a little bit sad that we need to think about a doctor prescribing that in order to go out and do it but i mean i think most people living in Dubai have experienced this phenomenon of of feeling, you know, you get busier and busier and busier with your work, you get more and more into it. You know, for expatriates, that's kind of why we're here. We're here to work, right? So it's easy to neglect the parts of our physiology that need uh, the downtime, that need to be in an environment that reminds us of our, you know, connection to the planet. And something goes on uh, physically within the environment when you're close to nature, what's there in the air, the air that you breathe, Mm -hmm. the ground that you're standing on, all these natural elements feed into our body and mind. So not only good for our mental health, but as I said, for our physical health when it comes to blood pressure, cortisol, de-stressing, helping with anxiety, bringing down your pulse rate. Also, I mean, cortisol is a hormone. And so it's a powerful thing. Absolutely. And actually, you know, that article was interesting to me in in another way that there's been lots of studies done on plants and how plants communicate and what, uh, what, what parts of the environment are affected by what types of plants are growing in that soil, how plants affect each other. And I think it's a totally fascinating topic. It's this whole, um, it's this whole life cycle that we feel a bit removed from. And yet when we're in an environment like a forest or whatever, we do experience some of those benefits. We could do a whole show on plant physiology. (laughs) Well, I'm going to California soon and I'm going to, I've just booked a cabin in the redwoods of North California. Fantastic. So I'll do the research for you. But yeah, coming out of the UK, uh, well, first off, Stanford University team looking at ways to tease apart the active ingredients of the nature experience to find ways to bring nature into the city. So here's some think for us we have our parks here in the uae but britain's royal horticultural society is trying to encourage the public to bring nature into their own backyard by replacing concrete with plants so a garden at the hampton court flower show for the greening gray britain campaign showcased ways to make urban environments rich in both vegetation and nature so you can bring the forest to your balcony to your garden and hopefully within our city more greenery Mm -hmm. will grow and we've got the sea which is such a fantastic natural element to have exactly exactly so let's all go there let's all go go right now yeah and get that that get i know it's hot and i know it's humid but it doesn't stop us we can still go uh this evening or tomorrow morning let's do it 
so yeah if you're struggling with some of those issues whether it comes weight gain weight loss stress and uh, looking for help let us know on 4001 um, lots of messages coming in on this um, somebody here saying can you help me with emotional eating it's a big thing emotional eating yeah it is and and there's there's real biochemistry behind that that um, stretching the wall of the stomach is something that's st- that stimulates serotonin release and serotonin is sort of our happy neurotransmitter so when people stress eat often they're they're sort of inadvertently medicating themselves and it can be a really difficult thing to break for sure uh it is about breaking that habit though yeah. and i guess understanding pay att- paying attention to what you eat when you eat and then why you're eating or choosing right. certain foods yeah. again coming back to the sugar yeah absolutely it uh is something that people reach for when they feel they need some sort of emotional comfort yeah probably everybody has experienced what it's like to get a sugar craving um and when when people do sort of stress eat or eat emotionally often it's one particular type of food that they're really reaching for. And and I ask that question when I see patients as well, because that gives us a little bit of ideas around, you know, are there, it, are there components in that food that they're lacking? Is there some kind of deficiency state that's making them crave that food all the time? But if it is true stress eating, usually I will recommend some kind of sort of talk therapy or some kind of um, mindful mindfulness-based therapy. Um, and there's been great studies around uh, something called cognitive behavioral therapy that you've probably heard of before that can help people sort of retrain their behavior, repattern their behavior. It takes work. It's a lot of work but it does it 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 is effective i uh read somewhere a while ago now but uh the 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 theory that if you have basically you've already learned and programmed your body yourself into the way that you connect with food and the way that you eat food and therefore even if you may have times of you know losing weight being at a more healthier weight you're always going to go back because somehow you have this connection to the feeling of mm. that comfort when you eat food yeah. and that if you've had that and you've programmed yourself with that you really can never get away from that well it's a it's a primal it's a primal comfort that's one of our first comforts when we're newly born and we 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 get milk for the first time it's satisfying that need so we are programmed from the beginning to associate eating with comfort with feeling good with love even right so when we when we start to experience abnormal behavior around food or destructive behavior around food often it it's tying into those core primal emotions you know and that's that's scary stuff yeah we, we've all got a bit of business to do in that in the, you know i think that we everybody's got Definitely. some some kind of work to do in that area you know and we there's still it's it's those are things that people often find very difficult to talk about but I, you know, it's my hope that we become more and more open talking about those things because it is important. Dr. Heather Ede is here, naturopathic physician at Intelligent Health based on the Beach Road. We're also talking mainly today about weight gain and weight loss, whether we want to do it or not, and what the implications can be for our health and also how to manage it and how to get the right diagnosis and treatment 
to assist with that. Now, Dr. Heather, you mentioned before the metabolic barriers to weight loss like insulin resistance, poor adrenal function, poor thyroid function. They seem to be the sort of main ones when people maybe are trying to lose weight and are finding it difficult. You said that, you know, along with a lot of questioning and examining of people's eating patterns, lifestyle, whether they're on medication, uh, whether there's a family history of, of these issues, but also there are tests that can be done as well. So there, there might be a process there. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, the standard tests that I usually ask for are um, a fasting insulin and a fasting glucose or and or a hemoglobin A1C, um, TSH, T3 and T4. Uh, and sometimes I'll ask for sex hormones as well, like progesterone levels, estrogen, testosterone. Um, and if there are other signs of an adrenal issue, then we'll do saliva testing for adrenal function. If all of that is fine, looks good, the person's eating a relatively healthy diet. The other thing that I have sometimes seen related to stubbornness with weight loss is people with a food intolerance, where they're mounting some kind of immune response to a food, um, and that is causing cortisol levels to go up. So sometimes I'll include that as part of our strategy, but not always. Question here and story to tell from Benny. He says, I'm 29 years of age, uh, 81 uh, kilos. I run five kilometers at 9 kpm six days a week. I eat good. I have a good diet uh, most of the time, five, mo- most days of the week, um, five days a week. And then two days I eat a little bit of junk food and maybe a few drinks. My question, even though I work out six days a week, I don't seem to lose weight. What should I be considering? Yeah, so the first thing I would look at is just body composition. Like how close is he to a really healthy weight at 81 kilos? He may may be a good weight for him. If he is regularly fit, as he says he is, then sometimes it's just a matter of changing activity levels. In, In men, you will have trouble burning fat if your muscle mass is low. So it might be worth, you know, maybe reducing the runs by a couple of days a week and including some strength training, some weightlifting or something like that. Um, Of course, I would ask him about more specific questions about his diet. And sometimes a person's eating really healthily, but just over consuming calories. It's really easy to do. So sometimes some of the sort of calorie tracking apps are helpful in understanding what a portion size actually looks like. So I would ask him some of those questions um, and then maybe get into some of the metabolic testing, look at thyroid function, look at insulin levels, look at glucose. And what I say to people again and again is ask for all of those tests from your doctor, not just fasting glucose, not just TSH, and get the numbers yourself. Don't The, the doctor may say, oh, it's fine, it's normal, but usually what I'll look at is, is it optimal? You can be within that normal range, and all that really means is you're just not sick enough to require medication yet, but you can have a functional problem and still have those numbers within normal range. Right. So when I look at those results, it's always at looking at looking at optimal levels, not just whether or not something is normal or abnormal. Mm. Okay. And uh, when you're looking at, you know, you mentioned there that calorie intake and, you know, quantity, food portions, quality of food is important. How do you figure out, because everybody's different, you know, what will work for me in my portions of food and uh, won't work for somebody else? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. And there's no, you know, the... Sometimes we can get a little bit bogged down in the details, but the useful information, if someone's trying to lose weight, I'll always, almost always do a body composition on them. So body composition measures, 
your obviously your weight, but also the percentage body fat, the fat mass, muscle mass, and it's muscle mass that determines how many calories you're able to burn at rest without even trying. Just the number of calories that you burn, keeping your heart beating, keeping your brain working, etc. So if we have an idea of what that baseline metabolic rate is, then we can roughly estimate what sort of portion size it should look like. And there's great online tools also for tracking calorie intake and helping you stick to what those portions should be. But I've been it, doing this recently. Yeah. Actually, I haven't got my band on today, mm. having said that. Uh, but yeah, well, it's really interesting to see, you know, it syncs, link, syncs to your phone. Yeah. Um, you put your band on, yep. your wristband on, and just getting to, and or just tapping in what you've eaten today. Yep. Yep. And it comes back with what calories you've yep. had and how many you're allowed to have. Yeah. Also, how many steps you're taking yeah. and it's really interesting it's, to see it is very interesting i've started doing that myself recently also and it's ironic that i you know do this for a living and you know i myself gained a little bit of weight so i wanted to see what was going on in just the basics like calories in calories out and i was really surprised to see how easy it is to overeat just by a little bit but if you're you know i eat a really healthy diet but I noticed how easy it is for me to overeat and without even really knowing that I'm doing it and just not huge, like just a couple hundred calories a day, but enough to result in a slow, sustained weight gain. Mm. And, you know, I need to get real with myself. If I'm going to lose it, then that's what needs to change. Right. And I think that's it. You have to get real with yourself for sure. and it's sure. never not necessarily going to be easy. But what is kind of fun with those apps, though, mm-hmm. is that when you start to see the calories, because it does go the other way as well. Yep. There have been foods that have been lower than I thought they might yep, be absolutely. and you just start to shift a little bit your yep. choices when you're at the supermarket yep. when you're looking in the cupboards what you're going to cook tonight so yep. it does help you it really does help a lot so those that the that and activity exercise to me are sort of the basics that that framework needs to be there for everybody. Sometimes there's limitations. A person has an injury or, you know, they've never been active and we we need to start really slow with exercise. But I always tell people that, it, it, you know, if their expectation is to lose weight without exercise, eventually they will plateau and they're going to need to include it. So those things, you know, if the basics are there, then we get into the metabolic stuff. And usually we find something in in the metabolic picture. If the metabolic picture also looks really good, then I might look into things like food intolerances or is there something else going on, you know, their sleep habits. Is there something else going on that's slowing down their metabolic rate? And if we can crack it, and the 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 framework is there with diet and exercise they will lose weight so tackling weight whether it's weight gain or weight loss and uh, a caller uh, asking about the menopause can that cause weight gain yeah it's a really good question and we haven't touched on it yet but that is also one of the sort of metabolic pictures that can contribute to weight gain that um, fat cells actually produce a little bit of estrogen so sort of leading up to menopause when estrogen levels start to drop the body body will try and compensate for the estrogen loss by getting more estrogen from fat cells. And essentially, that means fat gain. Um, Interestingly, women who are a little bit overweight, like a couple of kilos overweight, tend to have far fewer menopausal symptoms, hot flashes, that sort of thing, because their body is able to regulate that estrogen drop a little bit better than if they had too little fat stores. 
Um, but it is a really common reason why women start to uh, gain weight around that time in their life. And then it's just about balancing that estrogen decline. It's normal for estrogen to decline. That's not unhealthy. Um, but in, in sometimes we can do things to sort of slow it down so that the body isn't relying so much on the fat cells as a source of estrogen. And then they see the weight loss. Well, on that note, when it comes to women and hormones, somebody here is saying about three to four days before I get my monthly cycle, I overeat and crave sweet things. What can be the reason and how can I stop this? Yeah, good question. And I think a lot of women will be able to relate to that experience. Um, getting sugar cravings and and feeling hungrier than normal is a really common sort of PMS type symptom. Um, And it's okay. That's not, that's not necessarily something bad. It, that just is a, a symptom related to the, a quick little estrogen drop that happens before your period starts. So it's that estrogen drop that stimulates shedding of the uterine lining. And some women uh, get blood sugar fluctuations when estrogen drops that quickly. So treatment wise, again, as long as the person has sort of healthy diet and they're, you know, they're eating well, they're eating on time, they're exercising, then the next best way to treat it is to do things around making that estrogen drop not so Uh, not so intense. So vitamin B6 is helpful for that. Magnesium is helpful for that. Evening primrose oil is helpful for that. It's a herb called Vitex that's really good for that as well. So sometimes I'll start women on that kind of a protocol and then that helps them sort of keep on track with food during their kind of PMS time. Uh, Be careful, wary of heading to the pharmacy and buying yourself supplements over the counter if you're not sure what's going on in your body because one thing could be counterproductive if you've got something else going on. Yeah, it's, I mean, vitamins and supplements are available over the counter without a prescription. So you can go in anywhere and and buy things. And, you know, for the most part, it's, you know, for simple things, it's easy to find good information online and that sort of thing. But you can't always rely on the information that the salesperson at the at the supplement shop is giving you or I hate to say this even on the the pharmacist because pharmacists do have some training in vitamins and supplements obviously but not not a lot of really in-depth training about you know how to tell if a herb is standardized or not um, how to tell uh, what the dosage of the herb should be based on the percent standardization those things so to rely only on what the salesperson is saying or even what the label on the supplement says because supplements are labeled according to what the RDA for that vitamin is is or what our recommended daily allowance for that vitamin is, but that's not necessarily a therapeutic dosage. So if we're using supplements to achieve a therapeutic benefit, then I will often dose them differently than what the label says. And here, I'm eight months pregnant with zero weight gain. I'm 30 years of age and 60 kgs. Is this something to be concerned about? What can I do to ensure my baby is in good health? Yeah, this is a concern. And certainly, I would want to know that this woman is being followed by her OB-GYN. That, that, I mean, I'm sure her OB-GYN has been tracking the baby's if she's been regular with her visits, that the ob has been tracking the baby's size. Um, some women, if they become pregnant when they are carrying some extra weight, will actually not gain a lot of weight in the pregnancy because they're basically losing fat while they're pregnant. And that's okay. Um, but certainly, I would 
the first thing that she should do is get checked out by her OB-GYN and make sure the baby is growing okay. Um, and if there's still, if the baby's fine, then just checking for things like gestational diabetes. Um, some women have thyroid issues that don't come up until they're pregnant. So those are the things that I would try and rule out. But it doesn't necessarily mean that her baby will be unwell. It may just mean that her body has been using her fat stores to send nutrition to the baby basically Mm. generally when it comes to pregnancy and managing your pregnancy well if you're somebody that has exercised you can continue to exercise absolutely this is a big you you i hear women getting sort of differing advice from their ob-gynes all the time but a basic rule of thumb is whatever your activity levels have been you can pretty safely continue that in pregnancy unless you're like an mma fighter or kickball boxing or something like that, that might be contraindicated. But, you know, if you jog, if you do Pilates, if you do yoga, and the pregnancy is healthy, there's absolutely no reason to stop doing those things when you're pregnant. And food-wise, nutrition? Yeah, good question. So in pregnancy, we, we only really need an extra three to 400 calories a day. So that whole eating for two thing is a little bit of a myth. It's not double your calorie intake. It's basically have one or two extra healthy snacks every day or a slightly larger portion of protein at dinner, that sort of thing. Um, so if you're sticking to that, then the the weight gain that you'll you'll experience in pregnancy will be a healthy weight gain. And cravings, again, why is it that some women when they're pregnant get cravings? Yeah, that's really interesting. And I don't know that science has totally explained that phenomenon. Um, one of the, you know, it's always interesting to see how a woman does in her first trimester. A lot of women get really nauseated in their first trimester. And the foods, you know, often the the nausea sort of limits what we, what foods we can get into a woman's stomach. And the foods that we commonly are averse to in that stage are often foods that are really healthy, like green vegetables, fish, that sort of thing. But from an evolutionary perspective, bitter tasting plants are often toxic plants. So it makes evolutionary sense that we would not want to eat vegetables during our first, when we're feeling unwell and when we're feeling nauseated during our first trimester, we're trying to protect the baby. Cravings, um, when you're pregnant and the you know your hormone levels are changing, the liver has to metabolize all of those hormones. So sometimes the foods that women crave are foods that actually stimulate liver function a little bit, like the classic one, craving pickles. Sour foods will stimulate liver function a little bit. So, I mean, you know, I've heard all kinds of, everybody craves something different when they're pregnant. So it just really depends on what the food is that they're after. And Alina's asking if you could uh, explain a little bit more about uh, gestational diabetes. Does this diabetes end after the delivery of the baby? Yeah, it's a great question. So gestational diabetes basically means that you start to develop abnormal blood sugar and abnormal insulin production while you're pregnant. And that can be very dangerous to the baby, so it needs to be treated. It is something that can be treated with diet and lifestyle changes. But when a woman develops gestational diabetes, she will always be prone to pre-diabetic changes. So her that needs to be part of her long-term health plan for herself. And the baby will be born with an increased risk of developing diabetes later in life. So really important to get the baby on board and the child on board with healthy um, diet changes as well. So essentially treatment, they'll try and put, we'll try and put women on a, on a low carbohydrate diet, low glycemic index diet. So making sure that they're getting enough protein, protein helps keep the blood sugar stable 
and eliminating things like refined carbohydrates, sugar, desserts, sweets, some fruits, um, and making sure that the carbohydrates they are taking in are in a particular amount, so they're not exceeding that amount, and that they're always unrefined carbohydrates like brown rice over white rice, whole grain bread over white bread, etc. And really those diet changes are healthy changes for all of us. Um, it just it, It's just a matter of how flexible we can be with how we like to eat. 